Welcome to Fractured, a podcast for anyone who wants to gain a deeper understanding of the modern refugee crisis and migration movements. My name is Sonia Nanjik Herman, and I'm a co-founder of the Refocus Media Labs Foundation. And together with my co-host Joel Hernandez, an editor of the Mixed Migration Abdo, we bring you a new episode every two weeks, either in the form of a deep analytical dive by Joel or as a storytelling piece produced by me. Each episode is supported by Refocus Citizen Journalists. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Fractured Podcast, a collaboration between Refocus Media Labs and Mixed Migration Ebdo. I'm your co-host, Joel Hernandez, author and editor of Mixed Migration Ebdo, and this week, fresh on the heels of Boris Johnson's resignation as Prime Minister of the UK, I figured it would be as good a week as any to reflect on immigration policy in the UK, how we've gotten to where we are, what Boja's resignation implies, and what it doesn't. I have to admit, I'm a bit hesitant to go into this, as I'm not really sure if I know enough about UK immigration policy to properly do it justice, but I'll try my best. Since early May, the UK has made a lot of noise with a new policy that it describes as world-leading, but that most advocates describe as lunacy an immigration agreement with Rwanda, which would see every asylum seeker arriving irregularly to the UK deported to Rwanda, period. Not those recognized as bona fide refugees are allowed to remain, while non-refugee migrants are deported to Rwanda. Not, upon arrival to Rwanda, claims are processed, and those with bona fide asylum claims are returned to the UK. None of that. Per this deal, every last person arriving irregularly to the UK no matter why, would be deported to Rwanda and given the choice to integrate there or to sort themselves out in whichever other way. I want to circle back to the UK-Rwanda deal and to how it ties in with Boris Johnson's resignation, but to do it justice, first we need to loop back and consider the modern history. There are decades worth of bad decisions, wishful thinking, perverse incentives, and poor policymaking that have culminated into turning the UK at once into a country with a large and relatively well-integrated immigrant community, and also a toxic environment in which to be an immigrant, let alone in which to arrive as an immigrant. The first development to consider here is the story of the Windrush generation. Again, I don't know the history here nearly as well as I'd like to, and Amelia Gentleman's book on the Windrush scandal is high on my list of books to read. In a nutshell, the story of Windrush begins in the late 1940s, as the UK government was dismantling the British Empire. The 1948 British Nationality Act offered UK citizenship to all subjects of the British Empire, as well as the right to settle in the British Isles. On the heels of World War II, the UK was suffering crippling labor shortages, and so recruitment agencies went to town in the Caribbean, encouraging people from Jamaica, Trinidad and Tobago, Grenada, Barbados, or Belize to immigrate to the UK. Incidentally, at the same time, recruiters in Northern Europe facing the same problem were recruiting migrant laborers from Spain, Italy, and Greece. And eventually, they would start recruiting in Turkey and in North Africa, seeding immigrant communities that remain in Northern Europe to date. Either way, Circling back to Windrush, in the late 1940s and early 1950s, about half a million UK citizens relocated from the Caribbean to the British Isles, 
expecting to be received as fellow citizens by the society which had, after all, invited them to be part of their national project. What they found was a far cry from the welcome they'd been promised. Low-wage work, poor housing, poor social support, poor educational opportunities. In other words, racism and prejudice. Presumably, with each passing decade, things would get a bit less difficult for the Windrush generation. Children who had arrived to the British Isles as infants, or who had been born in the UK, had grown up British, and were not as burdened as their parents by the shock and the shattered expectations of their arrival. By the end of the 20th century, the UK was a much more diverse, cosmopolitan, and progressive country than it had been in the late 1940s. However, that diverse and cosmopolitan society elected the Conservative Party to government in 2010. And with that election, UK immigration policy began a decade-long involution that kicked off by delivering another kick in the gut of the Windrush generation, and that most recently gave us the UK-Rwanda deportation deal. In its 2010 election manifesto, the Conservative Party had promised reducing immigration to the UK, a common trope among right-of-center parties. In 2012, the Conservatives, now in government, inaugurated the hostile environment policy, intended to encourage immigrants without regular status to leave the UK voluntarily by creating a hostile environment for them. This would imply making it more difficult for irregular migrants to rent or buy housing, to work and earn an income, to access public health care or social support, or to regularize their status. Skipping past the ethics of trying to squeeze immigrants in the hopes that they will leave, the policy was implemented poorly. It didn't just target immigrants without status. The dragnet was cast too wide and began catching people who were in the UK with regular status. Notably among them, children of the Windrush generation. Those children we discussed earlier, who had arrived to the UK or were born there and didn't carry as much of the trauma that their parents had borne upon arrival. From 2013 on, more and more members of the Windrush generation, who had spent their entire lives in the UK, began discovering that their arrival hadn't been properly recorded, or that the records had been destroyed, and that, as a result, the Home Office considered them irregular migrants and wanted them gone. Eventually, authorities would admit that they had wrongfully detained over 150 people and wrongfully deported more than 80 to countries they did not know, 11 of whom were murdered shortly after their deportation. About 5,000 people were affected in total, losing work, housing, or healthcare because their immigration status had been wrongly flagged as suspicious. Thousands more lived in fear and anxiety for years and continue bearing the trauma inflicted by the hostile environment policy. And yet, the Conservative Party was far from done visiting harm on immigrants to the UK, and ultimately on UK society itself. The Brexit referendum of 2016 played on the same anti-immigrant tropes as the 2010 election. Prejudice against so-called Polish plumbers. Prejudice against refugees arriving via the Aegean and Mediterranean seas to continental Europe. The 2018 election, which brought Boris Johnson to power, played again on popular prejudice against immigrants and on society's general misunderstanding of immigration policy, delivering the Conservative Party an overwhelming majority.
Besides using this majority to push a hard Brexit through Parliament, the UK government also used it to approve the Nationality and Borders Bill, the hostile environment policy applied at the borders. The Nationality and Borders Bill has effectively created a two-tier asylum system in the UK. Refugees arriving under regular pathways, that is, under the invitation of the UK government, are allowed unobstructed access to the asylum system and eventually to long-term residency or naturalization. In January of last year, for example, the government created a visa for people from Hong Kong to immigrate to the UK, and thus far, about 100,000 arrivals have taken place. More recently, authorities created a visa for Ukrainian refugees to settle in the UK, with another approximately 100,000 arrivals having taken place so far. Without a doubt, there will be more arrivals from Hong Kong and from Ukraine, and their invitation to the UK is a welcome and global public good. But it's a public good that comes at a steep cost. First, because it's being used to justify the harm that's inherent to the other track created by the Nationality and Borders Bill, which we'll visit in a second. But also, because just like the Windrush generation were caught up in the hostile environment policy and wrongfully singled out as irregular migrants, which they were not, refugees from Hong Kong and Ukraine are also being harmed, in real time, by the same government that has invited them to immigrate and given them full access to the UK asylum system. In recent months, refugees from Hong Kong have complained that they lack access to mental health support and other basic services in the UK. Ukrainian refugees, for their part, were put through a Faustian visa application process before they could come to the UK, and are now living in complete insecurity in a dysfunctional hosting system, which UK authorities were supposed to manage, but have grievously neglected. Even the preferential track of refugees invited to the UK under the Nationality and Borders Bill are being harmed by the Nationality and Borders Bill, because the ill intent that motivated UK authorities to issue the Nationality and Borders Bill in the first place ended up absorbing them as well. And this is before we've even considered the second track of the asylum system created by the Nationality and Borders Bill, the track reserved for those who arrive irregularly. Let's backtrack quickly and introduce a concept, the principle of territorial asylum. This principle makes it so that anyone who is persecuted in their home country has a right, under international law as laid out in the 1951 Refugee Convention, to enter another country and ask for asylum. The principle of territorial asylum requires that any state party to the Refugee Convention give asylum seekers access to their asylum procedure. This doesn't mean states are required to give refugee status to every irregular arrival. States are just required to allow anyone who demands it to file an asylum claim, and to put in place the personnel and the infrastructure to review these claims swiftly and fairly. Yes, you guessed it. The Nationality and Borders Bill undermines the principle of territorial asylum, and the UK-Rwanda deal effectively jettisons it. As we discussed, the Nationality and Borders Bill gives full access to the UK asylum system to refugees invited to immigrate by government fiat, such as those from Hong Kong and Ukraine. However, those who arrive irregularly, for example, Syrian refugees or Afghan civilians who work with British troops deployed in Afghanistan, are treated completely differently. Instead of being given access to a regular asylum procedure, the Nationality and Borders Bill would only allow them access to short-term residency visas, 
that fall far short of refugee status. Instead of allowing them to settle in communities, it increases the detention of irregular arrivals. Instead of adjudicating their asylum claims on UK soil, it proposes creating offshore facilities to keep irregular arrivals separated from the UK mainland. Remember the principle of territorial asylum, by which any person suffering persecution is allowed to enter another country and request asylum? This is how the Nationality and Borders Bill undermines it, by punishing asylum seekers arriving by their own means to the UK to seek asylum, by trying to criminalize movement that is regular, but that is also non-threatening, by treating like a security problem what is actually a humanitarian problem. Let's take a step back and consider the political context here. The Nationality and Borders Bill was crafted over the last year, as the UK government reeled because of its disastrous response to the COVID-19 pandemic, and as the fallout from Partygate and other scandals made it more and more difficult for Boris Johnson to keep his government together. At one point, his cabinet actually concocted a supposed Operation Red Meat to propose hard-right policies and satisfy the extreme wings of the Conservative Party's base and ease pressure on Boris Johnson's increasingly fragile government. As absolutely no one listening to Fractured should find surprising, proposing restrictive immigration policies is exactly what an embattled right of central government would do to keep its right-wing voters satisfied. The Nationality and Borders Bill went part of the way there, but just part of the way. Before the Nationality and Borders Bill had even gone into effect, the Home Office announced the UK-Rwanda agreement that we introduced at the beginning of this episode. Now, while the Nationality and Borders Bill creates a two-track asylum system, where supposedly welcome refugees are allowed access to the UK asylum system, while supposedly unwelcome refugees are only allowed access to an inferior set of rights, the UK-Rwanda agreement creates a one-track system, where those supposedly unwelcome refugees get bounced off of UK soil without even a review of their asylum claim. Not just an undermining of the principle of territorial asylum, a full frontal assault against it. So far, not a single asylum seeker has been deported to Rwanda under this scheme, and not for lack of trying. Just a few weeks ago, the government tried to fly off a plane load of asylum seekers to Rwanda, but thanks to heroic interventions from immigration barristers in UK courts and eventually at the European Court of Human Rights, the flight was grounded. The Guardian leaked more recently that the Home Office may be planning another deportation flight in coming weeks, and it remains to be seen if Boris Johnson's resignation will affect these plans. UK courts are reviewing the legality of the UK-Rwanda agreement and could find it unlawful and scrap it forever. That would depend, I suppose, on whether they evaluate its legality under international law and the Refugee Convention, or whether they evaluate its legality against the Nationality and Borders Bill. In the latter case, it's possible they could rule in favor of the Home Office and allow deportation flights to proceed. Which brings us back to Boris Johnson's resignation. With Bojo out of the picture, Operation Red Meat is no longer a factor. The impetus to push immigration policies that are unnecessarily harsh and potentially unlawful, but popular among right-wingers, in order to save Boris Johnson from his incompetence and dishonesty, is gone. However, just because Boris is gone doesn't mean that whoever replaces him won't find themselves facing the same incentive structures as Boris, 
and decide to continue pushing the same incarnation of the hostile environment policy in order to curry favor with the far right while pushing other priorities. Let's not forget that the Biden administration came to power in the U.S. committed to reversing its predecessor's dystopian immigration policies and has ended up perpetuating all of them. The architect of Boris Johnson's immigration policies, Home Secretary Priti Patel, remains Home Secretary, and if the next Prime Minister decides they could use some red meat of their own, they might well encourage Patel to double down on the Nationality and Borders Bill, to double down on the UK-Rwanda agreement, and to keep the hostile environment in place, no matter how many lives it churns through. A few weeks ago on this podcast, we said goodbye to Fabrice Leggeri, the head of Frontex, and I'm happy today to say goodbye to Boris Johnson. But it's not until we say goodbye to Priti Patel, and until we say goodbye to the Conservative Party, that I'll be able to breathe a little bit easier. Thank you for listening to the Fractured Podcast. I'm your co-host Joel Hernandez, editor of Mixed Migration Hebdo, signing off and looking forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks for listening to Fractured, produced by Sonia Nanjik Herman, Joel Hernandez, and Refocus Media Lab citizen journalists, with a special support of Douglas Herman. Editing by Majid Bakshi, music by Eamon Kelly. Refocus productions are mostly possible thanks to our supporters, Allianz Kulturstiftung and Choose Love. If you want to know more about the refugee crisis and migration, we encourage you to follow Refocus Media Labs on social media and sign up for Joel's Mixed Migration Abdo newsletter. And if you're interested in supporting our work with refugees on Lesbos, in Athens, Berlin and Krakow, you can do so by donating to our Patreon on patreon.com forward slash Refocus Media Labs.